For RCRTV, I'm Sean Kinney, and welcome to HetNet Happenings, where we take a look at all things DAS, Wi-Fi, small cell, and much more. Welcome back to HetNet Happenings, and you know this is our final episode of uh, 2015. They're going to give me some time off over the holidays, but I'm really looking forward to some great shows for you all right out of the gate in 2016. Uh, first up, we're going to be in Las Vegas for the Consumer Electronics Show, so we'll bring you an episode of HetNet Happenings from uh, the show floor there in Las Vegas. And then in February, we're going to be over in Barcelona for Mobile World Congress, which is always a great source of just a really top-notch content. So I look forward to bringing you guys into that show. But for now, last week I was out in San Diego at IEEE Globecom. This is one of their flagship events that they host each year. And, uh, you know, it was, it, IEEE obviously a standardization body, so a lot of the discourse was around 5G, which we'll get to later in the show. But first, I wanted to give you kind of a high-level overview of IEEE Globecom. The theme this year was connecting all through communications. So we were joined by IEEE's general chair for the event, who's also an SVP over at Qualcomm, that's Ed Tittiman. So Ed and I talked a little bit about some of the key themes from the show this year. Let's take a look at that. For RCR Wireless News, I'm Sean Kinney, and we're here at IEEE ComSox Globecom event. This is one of the organization's flagship events, and we're here with the event chair, Ed Tiedemann. So, Ed, thank you so much for taking a minute to tell us a little bit about Globecom. And I really wanted to start by asking you about the theme of this year's event, connecting all through communication. What does that mean? Yeah, well, connecting all through communications is really trying to evoke the Internet of Things, the Internet of Everything. Uh, and, and I think you all know for many years we thought about you know, our laptops, our cell phones being connected wirelessly. But now we're in sort of this movement to connect everything from light switches. Of course, we know about thermostats, um, but you know, refrigerators, all of our house devices, plus then all a lot of the devices in the industrial you know, environment. You know, things such as you know, we've been talking about electric meters, water meters, water systems. Um, our example of a few, you know, we're talking about uh, vehicular, vehicular communications, vehicular infrastructure communications, but it's evoking the connecting of all and everything by communications technology. Yeah, and speaking with some of the vendors on site here and looking at some of the demonstrations and listening to the panels, it really is uh, a pointed how transformative the Internet of Things promises to be both for consumer and industrial applications. So as the Internet of Things starts to, to take off and really gain mind share and gain market share, what are some of the things that IEEE is doing to further that goal of connecting all? Yeah, well, IEEE is, really has a large fraction of it, and a lot of what communi the communication society does uh, is about the dissemination of information in the technical community. This dissemination of information comes in many forms. IEEE Communication Society puts out, I think, over 20 publications. Now, you know, basically some from those which are heavily refereed 
journals where you have papers which are peer-reviewed and all before they get published, to ones where there is no peer review and things that are much more timely in, in nature and all because you know the peer review process takes a little time to get through to verify the quality of the papers. But that is an, an information dissemination problem. They also put on, you know, have webinars, uh, tutorials. At the conference like Globecom, we have many, many technical sessions. And the t sessions are in a number of different forms. We have what we call symposium, which are these detailed technical papers being presented. We have keynote speeches. We have eight keynote speeches here. We have uh, executive forum where we have senior people from companies get out there and talk about, for example, 5G or topical things. Then we have many, many other forums. You know, we're talking, we have a forum on public safety, for example. We actually, you know. And then we have series of workshops and tutorial sessions. So, for example, uh, we had a tutorial on 5G. We had a, we're having another workshop uh, on Thursday about LTE in the unlicensed bands, a very topical, controversial topic uh, out there in the industry. But it's a lot of this dissemination and the dissemination to the technology, the engineering community, you know, who has the ability to understand and go through the technology details mm -hmm. uh, to fully understand it. And you know, Ed, I also wanted to ask you about our, our location here in San Diego. Uh, I've gotten an education at the event about San Diego's role in the global wireless ecosystem. Maybe you can expound on that a little bit. Yes, it actually goes back historically quite a bit. Um, in basically the late 60s, Erwin uh, Jacobs and Andrew Viterbi, two names that are very well known in the communications area, founded a company called Linkabit. That became sort of the the heritage of telecommunications in San Diego. Since then, we've had many, many, many companies come out of that. I mean, two of the ones that were here, uh, the opening keynote uh, was given by Mark Danford, who is the basically the CEO of Viasat Communications, which is based up in the Carlsbad area, just north of the center of San Diego. Uh, and of course, the most famous of the companies that sort of grew out of Lincoln is Qualcomm. You know, which has a tremendous presence in San Diego worldwide. It, of course, is very well known in the cellular and Wi-Fi industries uh, for its development of chips and technology as it relates to those industries. And you know, you mentioned uh, 5G earlier. That's been a, a big uh, emphasis of the show and the discussions going on here. I, I've seen a lot of uh, discussion, particularly around how do we move from uh, prototyping in the lab to a commercially viable product but all of this conversation around 5G, it's important to remember that it's still not standardized, so we might not all be talking about the exact same thing. What is sort of the outlook for 5G standardization over the next few years? Yeah, well, let me, let me go through that. So where we are in this conference is really about dissemination of technical information, research information, and then the dissemination through the panels and things like that of sort of the, the state of the industry where you'll have people from companies or researchers who are coming to talk about where things are. But we're now moving from what I would call the purely research phase of 5G into the standardization phase of 5G. Uh, in September, 3GPP had a kickoff workshop on 5G that was held in Phoenix, Arizona, you know, and they're starting work on first level, highest level standardization, and I'll call it the really detailed you know, technical proposals will start flowing into 3GPP, we expect, around March of 2016.
Okay. And Ed, as we wrap up here, uh, could you maybe tell our colleagues in the industry who weren't able to come here to San Diego for Globecom what some of the key takeaways of the event are? Well, I think some of the key takeaways are we have a very vibrant communications industry. We have a tremendous turnout here in San Diego. Now, maybe that's partially due to San Diego, the great weather, you know, the great scene. You know, we look out here on the, the San Diego Bay, beautiful location, but it's also the vibrancy and the interest in things such as 5G. We're also seeing, in some sense, a resurgence in interest in, in satellite communications, uh, for delivery of internet services, internet services to rural areas, you know, and even um, Mark Dankford uh, was talking about, you know, deli satellite delivery into, you know, more than just the rural areas by satellite communications, you know, with the sophisticated technologies that are coming online. But we're seeing a tremendous interest in that, uh, tremendous number of papers. We had uh, more than, I think, around 2,900 papers being submitted to this conference and about 950 were actually accepted for presentation at this conference. So you can see the large amount of research being generated in this field, you know, and of course the 950 being accepted means the filtering down to the better papers to actually be presented. Well, Ed, thank you so much for taking us through all the good work that's going on here at Globecom. Okay, thank you very much. And you heard Ed and I talk a little bit about 5G in, in that short clip there, but we wanted to talk a little more in depth about what's going on. And the key takeaway from this next clip we're going to watch is that from Ed's perspective, from IEEE's perspective, 5G has moved from the research phase to the standardization phase. So really some exciting movement in that arena ahead of commercialization, maybe 2020, 2021 rather. But let's hear from Ed about the work that IEEE is doing in regards to 5G. All right, Ed, we talked a little bit earlier about 5G, and I know there are a lot of activities here at Globecom that are dedicated to 5G. Can you tell us a little more about those? Oh, it's a tremendous amount of discussion on 5G. Uh, on Sunday morning, uh, there was a whole tutorial session, which the room was overflowing. They actually had to expand the room uh, where some of the team at Qualcomm, who's actually developing the technology for 5G, gave a half-day, basically, tutorial on their vision and also what's happening in the industry on 5G. We've had a number of other panels. We had a panel uh, yesterday on when will 5G be real by industry leaders and experts talking about, you know, their view of when we're actually going to see 5G, you know, and people are talking about, you know, as I said, it's going to go into standardization, starting standardization work. But, you know, maybe the first commercial systems around 2020, you know, we'll see. There's also been, as part of 5G, a lot of people have been talking about millimeter waves in 5G. So we've had a lot of papers on millimeter wave, and we've had a number of panels that have been focused on 5G and millimeter waves. Then we have a whole exhibit hall over here where there's a number of companies actually presenting and showing demonstrations of some of their technology uh, that is related to millimeter wave and 5G, you know, as, as part of it. So, you know, people talk about is 5G part of, you know, is 5G going to be millimeter wave, 5G part of, you know, um, you know, millimeter waves going to be part of 5G. You know, my view is millimeter waves are going to be a component of 5G, but millimeter, but 5G is going to be very comprehensive in terms of technology. And I think one of the things that really was very interesting that uh, Seiji Onaway here, who was the, is the NTT Docomo CTO, a company which has been very 
much in the forefront of many generations of technology, and now 5G is talking about his visualization is not that 5G is a new OFDM or CDMA, not one of these four or five letter keywords, but the refusion of many of the technologies that we know of already, but into something bigger and better than what we have today. And that in itself will create the innovative step that we're going to have much, much better wireless communications through 5G. That was a very interesting keynote, and for the viewers at home, that is available on the Globecom playlist on our YouTube channel. I'd encourage you to take a look at that. Yeah. And Ed, I guess what I'm curious about, when we consider 5G, to my wit, densification, huge part of it, more efficient spectral use, and more spectrum. That's where this millimeter wave comes in. But the technology aside, what is the transformative promise of 5G, and what does it mean for the way that you and I live and work? Well, you, you left out one key component here in, in talking about technology related to 5G. And I would call that what we call MIMO. Absolutely. Okay? But it's more massive MIMO. Mm -hmm. Okay, and massive MIMO really means large numbers of antennas. And with large numbers of antennas, we're going to be able to get very sharp, narrow beams, pencil beams in the almost the extreme. Okay, and in fact, really one of the very interesting things that was here that happened here today was Tom Marzetta who actually has done some of the fundamental work in MIMO and Massive MIMO, actually received the award as an IEEE Fellow uh, at our award ceremony, basically, uh, yesterday at, at lunch. Um, but going back to this, how is it going to be for the user? We talk about sort of three pillars of 5G in, in some sense. One of them is massive broadband communications. Okay, that's basically more of what we get higher performance, lower delay, better throughput for what we have today, you know, from our handsets, our cell phones, and particularly better coverage, you know, and uniformity of coverage. And that is one of the key aspects that people are talking about. Another key aspect that people are talking about is clearly the Internet of Things. Being able to connect to the huge numbers of devices that are out there, or people are thinking that are being out there. You know, we hear estimates of 50 billion devices in a few years, whatever it is. And then the other thing is really very reliable communications, so that you can actually trust the public communications, the public wireless communication systems with what one would term mission-critical usages, so that you have a very high probability of actually getting that communications through in almost any environment. Great, Ed. Well, thank you so much for giving us a look at some of the 5G discussion going on here at IEEE's Globecom. Okay, great. Thank you. You know, there was a lot of great conversation, panel discussion, keynote discussion at the IEEE Globecom show, but there were also some very good demonstrations on the show floor that I wanted to share with you. So in this next clip, we're going to take a look at, at two of these demonstrations. In this first one, you're going to hear from Qualcomm about what they're doing with license assisted access and then LTE Wi-Fi aggregation with the end goal here being just push more bandwidth into your uh, smartphone. So that's really an exciting thing that's... Uh, you know, we talk about 5G down the line, but I mean, this is technology that's useful right now and that you'll see uh, deployed on LTE networks to sort of extend the usefulness of those. And, uh, you know, some of this stuff is actually commercially available, albeit in a limited sense in a few markets. I'm thinking about South Korea primarily, but a lot of the branding that you hear out there is around 4.5G, which is a uh, you know, that's sort of a marketing term, but it is something different from a LTE network as you and I know it. So it's uh, definitely 
an interesting advancement that has a lot of immediate application. And then after we hear from Qualcomm, we're going to head over to see what the folks at National Instruments are doing to add densification at the macro layer. We talk so much about small cells supplying that sort of on-demand capacity exactly where you need it in your geographical pinch points. And that's uh, really interesting, but there's a, some school of thought that's somewhat controversial too, that small cell could sort of fade away if we're able to successfully deploy MIMO at the macro level to just add so many more antennas that the macro capacity is such that you don't really need that spot capacity. But it, again, that's, like I said, somewhat controversial. We had an episode a few weeks ago from the Texas Wireless Summit where we heard from Tom Marzetta about that, if you want to go back and check out that episode. But let me get to it here, and let's take a look at these demonstrations. First, we're going to see what Qualcomm's doing with LAA, then we're going to see what National Instruments is doing around MIMO prototyping. Let's take a look. Uh, my first name is Randy, uh, Randy Lee. I work for Qualcomm, and uh, today I would like to show you the, the LTE's advanced demo. And this is the demo here. Is basically the uh, we show the extending the benefit of LTE advanced uh, to the uh, unlicensed spectrum uh, using the uh, license access access we call LAA. So basically, this is the uh, as you know that LTE, LTE here we use as, as on on the license band. We can use the same thing for the regular LTE, and as we refer to the uh, primary component, uh, primary component carrier PCC, and uh, as the on the license size, on the unlicensed size, we refer to the SCC secondary component carrier. So, with the uh, the advance here is the benefit that uh, we want to show you the between the Wi-Fi and LEA, and uh, we also met all the features like the listening before talk and for the future CCA and the cup is in place. And the main important thing here is we want to show the, the, the fairness to other Wi-Fi uh, with the coexisting Wi-Fi. So we want to show that we are a good neighbor. We're not impacting the Wi-Fi at all. But in the meantime, we show the, the capacity gains. And what it all does about it here is uh, we want to show the network capacity then user uh, experience. Um, because all user care, user standpoint already care about the the, the throughput, or again, with the higher data, higher data rate throughput. So in here, we have like, like uh, five different steps, and we're going to show you through all the steps here. So as you can see, the first step, which is all the Wi-Fi, and you can see it's all the Wi-Fi node, and you can see the color here, Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi, it's all Wi-Fi. The reason we show the Wi-Fi here is just for the baseline. You see, what is, let's say in the deployment, we have all the Wi-Fi. How much throughput are we getting now? And then the next step, we show you the, the difference between each steps. So right now, you can each Wi-Fi, and this is the the color here. It's still one one deployment, like like one operator uh, deployment A, and then the pink color is deployment B. And each node here is uh, like 12 megs. And each node they can see each other. Basically, is they can hear each other pretty well. So that means is they have to know when to listen, when to talk, when to transmit data, so they don't collide, avoid the whole collision here. And then we have another <coughs> node here, just a Wi-Fi. This is standalone Wi-Fi. So this slide we show that, okay, this is the Wi-Fi. We don't want to, we are a good neighbor. We don't want to impact this guy. So that's what the whole thing for here. And the next step is the LTE, LEA Wi-Fi. So we, if you notice here, if we go to these steps, Okay, so we got these steps. Everything will be the same. Deployment A, everything the same deployment B, except this guy we convert to LAA. 
why we want to show the difference between the, the Node Wi-Fi and the Node we went convert to LEA. You can see the throughput is totally different. You see 13 of before here, and now we convert to LEA, we get 19 megs. And do we impact the Wi-Fi? No, Wi-Fi should remain the same. We don't impact our neighbors, the Wi-Fi neighbor. So that's the, 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 the first step. Now, if you can see, if we go to the next step, basically was I was increasing the more LEA node. So right now, the, the second step only do one LEA only. Now the, the third step, I'm gonna make the three nodes LEA. So the deployment A will be remain the same, deployment B, so this step, remember the, the last step, these two will be Wi-Fi, right? Now we convert to the LEA. So all these three nodes, one, two, three, become LEA now. So look at the throughput. You got 20 meg for each. Significant performance, uh, throughput increase. And the Wi-Fi, slightly even better. Before it was like 11 something, now it's 12 meg. So we're not impact the Wi-Fi at all. And then we go to the next steps. So the next step here, we want to make all of them is become the LEA. So you can see now deployment A and deployment B, they convert from the Wi-Fi to the LEA. So you can see everything is increasing. And guess what the Wi-Fi, the neighbor is still doing even better. We were like 12 meg, 13, now become a 14. So the whole thing here, we're not really, we, are, we show we are a good neighbor. We're not impacting Wi-Fi at all. Why? Because we can see each other. We know when to send, when to transmit, when to listen. That's the, that's the benefit. The main point here, we want to show the, for operator, we want to show the network capacities we increase and increase the user experience. And now the last steps, we want to convert Here, it's all Wi-Fi, all LEA, but let's say this, this is the last step, we don't have Wi-Fi in place. Let's say we're in an area where we only have LEA only, no Wi-Fi, so we don't really, you know, impact neighbors. What happened? Significant increase, was 20 meg, and now there's no Wi-Fi, it becomes 40 each one. Can you see the almost like network capacity increase big time, right? So without the Wi-Fi, even with Wi-Fi, we're still doing good, and we're not impacting Wi-Fi. Without the Wi-Fi, we're doing even excellent. That's the whole purpose of the, the game, that LEA, compared to the Wi-Fi. And then another important thing point here is LEA. We had the, the better we had the better coverage uh, compared to Wi-Fi, and also mobility is it's more robust, seamless mobility, handover. Good afternoon. My name is Sev Kamensky, and I'm with the Application Engineering Specialist Group at National Instruments. So here we have a demonstration of a massive MIMO real-time prototyping system that is based on NIUSRP and LabVIEW Communication Suite uh, technology. Um, so as we have limited spectrum, uh, MIMO system become important in the development of next generation of uh, base station technology. So here we have an example of a 16 antenna base station. We have eight USRPs uh, that have a total of 16 antennas that um, um, that is our base station. We also have uh, three user devices that transmit data to the base station. So we have a first, uh, one of the, the first user device that transmits data over this antenna, the second user device that transmits data over this antenna, and the third user device that transmits data over this antenna. So the first two users, they uh, transmit video data um, over their antennas that uh, video data gets read by the base station antennas 
and then uh, the base station does OFDM demodulation. Once the data is demodulated, it is sent down to the PXI chassis. Um, down here, uh, through the PCIe bus, and then after that, the data goes to the FPGAs, uh, where you have channel estimation and all the MIMO detection algorithms and uh, additional processing. So once the data is processed, it is then sent back to the host controller that basically has the UI. Uh, so here we have a user interface in the LabVIEW design communication suite. So this user interface shows the, the constellation plots from uh, the three users. You can see that the first user transmits using QPSK modulation scheme, and so does the second user. It's shown here. The third one transmits using 16QAM modulation scheme. So what the front panel also shows you is the carrier frequency that is at 2.49 gigahertz, as well as the bandwidth, uh, 20 megahertz, um, and the throughput of each individual user, which is at uh, two megabits per second. Uh, so the key advantage of using LabVIEW is that with this code, you can fully customize the different parameters of the system. So let's say if you, have, if you wanted to have a custom frame schedule, you can easily do so. Right now, this is a very LT-based frame schedule. Uh, we have pilot data and then uh, um, uplink data and so on. But you can fully customize it to any different types of symbols that you like. Uh, you, you also have uh, the configuration tab that shows you how you can scale the system to more antennas. Right now, the system has eight USRPs that have 16 antennas, but this can be easily scaled up to 128 antennas uh, by adding more hardware resources and specifying more antennas uh, in the configuration tab. So this tool becomes important for researchers that work on prototyping and testing out different MIMO, config, uh, MIMO detection schemes and different algorithms for, um, for base station research. Thank you. Well, that was just a little peek about uh, some of the things going on at IEEE's Globecom event, which was last week out in San Diego. I've got a, a lot more multimedia content posted up on the RCR Wireless News YouTube channel. We've got a panel discussions, keynotes, a lot uh, more from the show floor by way of demonstration. So I'd encourage you to take a look at that because it really is an important show. And then, uh, you know, uh, like I said earlier, be sure to catch up with us in January for CES, February for Mobile World Congress. In the meantime, I'd encourage you to visit rcrwireless.com to get your daily dose of telecom and ICT news headlines. And then you can visit the RCR TV website to watch previous episodes of HetNet Happenings as well as some of our other productions. So thank you so much for tuning in, and I look forward to seeing you right back here in 2016. HetNet Happenings is a production of RCR-TV. To reach Sean Kinney or to suggest a show topic for HetNet Happenings, you can reach Sean at skinney at rcrwireless.com. On Twitter at Sean Kinney RCR. To find out more about the latest in HetNet and all things wireless, dig into rcrwireless.com.